Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Job. And we will be in the 42nd chapter of the book of Job. If you're looking for the 42nd chapter of the book of Job, you can look in the middle of your Bible, see if you see Psalms. Go backwards till you get to Job. Go forward till you get to 42. That is your Bible lesson for the evening. Would somebody close us in a word of prayer? Just kidding. Just kidding. Last week we introduced Job and the topic of suffering. And the suffering that is discussed here within this book of Job. And uh, I must confess that I originally had planned on preaching a message between last week's and this week's message. But uh, I felt like that message fits into another, another series for another time. And that we should, uh, we should just come on up to this one. So uh, we'll be wrapping up tonight uh, here in the book of Job in Job chapter 42 for the purposes of this series. And last week as we introduced it, just so we have a refresher real quick, we said a few things about the book of Job. One, we said we don't really know who wrote the book of Job. Uh, Could have been one of a few people. We feel like it was probably written sometime during Solomon's reign as king, perhaps during Jeremiah's reign uh, as the, uh, the lead prophet there in Jerusalem. But we don't really know exactly who wrote the book of Job. We do know that the book was written about a man. Anybody want to guess who the man's name was? Job. Good job. You guys catch on really quick. So it was written about a man named Job. Job lived sometime before the days of Moses, most likely just before the time of Abraham, based on the events that we find out about Job in Job chapter 1. We think that he probably lived just prior to Abraham or during the time that Abraham lived. Can anybody remember what I said about who wrote the book of Job? It doesn't matter. There you go. We don't need to get caught up in it. It's kind of you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes, right? Or you can't see the trees for the forest. I said that backwards. So you look in and everything looks like it's clumbled up and we say, oh, who wrote it? Who wrote it? Man, who cares? The fact of the matter is that it was written about Job. Job was a man. Job lived at some point in time and the things of Job really happened. And so I said the summary of the book of Job that I could come up with is this. If I was trying to summarize the entire book, I would say this. When bad things happen to good people. When bad things happen to good people. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I say that sentence, I immediately go, wait a minute, this is a book that I need to read. If it's about when bad things happen to good people, I can somehow or another empathize with that because oftentimes I get asked the question, well, why do bad things happen? If God is God and God is good, why do bad things happen? Well, why is this going on? And the, the seemed purpose of the book of Job is to kind of give us a different theology as to what they had in this time because most people in this time would have said, well, bad things happen when you do bad things, good things happen when you do good things. And that would have really been widely accepted. In fact, it was, it was so much the theology of that day that someone would look at someone else and go, ooh, bad things are happening to you. What would you do wrong? Right? They kind of went ahead and took it to that next step. Boy, you must, 
you must have sinned or your parents sinned or your grandmother sinned or somebody sinned and that's why these things are going bad. And the book of Job kind of lends us a different theology of suffering. And that's the title of this evening's message is the theology of suffering. But it wasn't just something that happened in the day of Job that we looked at things that way, was it? Because still today, we, we, we tend to look at things like that. We have a special name for it now, don't we? We call it karma. We see you do good things and the universe gives you good things. You do bad things and the universe gives you bad things. And we call it karma and we think it's cuter and we think it fits in a better bag and we don't feel so bad about it. But really, if you get right down to it, it's just false doctrine, to be completely clear. We can call it what we want to, but it's still false doctrine that... that the only time bad things happen are when you do bad things. And the problem with that is what happens when something bad happens when you're doing good? Right? So inevitably when, when you're living the life that God has called you to live and something bad happens, how do you reconcile that? Do you have to say, well, at some point in time in my life I sinned and so God's punishing me now for what I did way back then and so you live your entire life under this theory that at some point every mistake you made is going to be punished by the wrath of God at some point in time it's going to be poured out on you in this life you're going to suffer something bad because of something that you did but even more than that what happens when you do something so bad that you can't do anything good to overcome it what happens when you've done that one thing that's so bad there's no way you can fix it there's no way you can do enough good to outweigh the bad that you've done. And that, my friends, is a terrible life to live going the rest of your time trying to figure out what you can or can't do and how you can or can't live. And that doesn't fit into the theology of Jesus at all. Because the theology of Jesus says, come all ye who are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. It says we were all sinners when Christ died for us. The theology of Jesus says it's not Jesus plus anything that brings about salvation. It's Jesus is the only way that brings about salvation. And so the good and the bad that you do have nothing to do with, with how your eternity plays out. Last week we said three things about suffering. First thing we said is that we recognize that Satan was powerful, but he wasn't all powerful. We also said that the suffering that we experience as believers is very real. We do in fact still experience suffering even after we come to know Christ. And we also said that the suffering we endure, and this was the closing point, was ultimately for the glory of God. That the things that we endure ultimately are to bring glory to God. We said that because when we endure suffering with faith in Christ, He gets the glory for what He does through that storm. He gets the glory for what He does through that. Not you get the glory for how you overcome it or how you get through it. He gets the glory for what He does and we, through the process, become something better than we were before the storm. And so tonight, let us stand, and we're going to read aloud together from the book of Job, chapter 42. There are only 17 verses, and we're going to read all of them this evening. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore 
I bore myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is roused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Naamite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. All of his brothers and sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and they ate food with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a ring of gold. And now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He called the name of the first Hemamah, the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapu. And in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. And so Job died old and full of days. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we just ask that you would take the reading of your holy and sacred book from the writings of the book of Job, Lord God. You bless it and you change us through our study of it, Lord God. Help us to better understand your grace, your mercy, and your sovereignty, Lord Jesus. And it's your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. First thing we're going to look at this evening is Job's response to suffering. Now Job's been through the ringer, you might say. So let's just call back and remember what we said is going on for Job. Job had a lot of stuff. Job was a wealthy man. Job was very blessed. Satan said to God, Hey, let me go down and take all the stuff away from Job and Job will curse you and he'll no longer praise you and he'll no longer follow you because Job is only following you because you've given him favor in his whole life. He has everything. Why wouldn't he praise you? Why wouldn't he follow you? Why wouldn't he adore you? He has everything. And it called into the question about God. Can man love God simply because he is God or does man only love God because of what God can do for him? And so God said, test my servant Job. You can take all his stuff. You can take his health. Just don't strike him down and he will remain faithful. And so Job has lost his livestock. Job has lost his children. His children have died. Job has lost his homes that were on his property. He's lost his crops. He's lost his health. He had suffered so mightily. And as Job is sitting in his state of suffering, his friends come to see him. And as his friends come to see him, you could say that Job, as he sits in his tent, being visited by his friends, is living life on a very sour note. Let's just say it, things are not going well. And so here his friends are, are coming unto him in this tent, and they're saying things like, 
my goodness, Job, what'd you do? What is it that you did so bad that your life is going so poorly? What is it that, that his, his own wife came to him and said, just curse God and die, Job. Just curse God and die. Be done with it. And so he had felt confusion and chaos and all of these things going on in the life of Job. And as he comes to chapter 42, he finally responds himself to God because Job's friends have come and talked. Another prophet had come and talked. Job's wife had come and talked. And then God had spoken to Job. And finally, Job now is responding to God's message to him. And basically, what Job is saying is this. God, you're a mighty God. And you are all-powerful. And you are in complete control. Look at verse 3 with me. I love this one. The end of it, he says, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. He basically says, God, earlier when I was complaining and I was saying I should have died at birth, because Job, it got so bad that he said I should have died at birth. It would have been better that when my mom had me, I would have just died right then than that I would have had to endure all this. And he says, God, when I spoke those things, I was in complete ignorance. I thought that somehow or another I still had some control and I still had some power and that I still had something to do with this. Deep down in my heart, I thought that somehow or another my actions were the reason that I was going through this. I thought that for some reason or another something I had done had brought this on and even though I never cursed you, I didn't really understand you. But as he speaks in chapter 42, he says, but now I realize I spoke out of ignorance that I don't. I don't, don't know what I was thinking because I wasn't giving you the glory for being the great thing. He, he essentially said, I had no idea how big a God you were. I had no idea how you were working things out for me until I was able to step back and realize that you had me in the palm of your hand. In other words, Joseph, says, I was so caught up in my pain and my suffering that I couldn't see the hand of God at work in my life anymore. Kind of what Job realizes here is something that I think many of us need to realize often in our lives. Job kind of realized that the world didn't revolve around him, basically. Job kind of came to grip at the fact that it was bigger than him, that it, it revolved around God, and he was merely a place, taking up a place here on this earth, and that the world really was about God and his glory and the things that he did. And I think too often, the thing that blocks us from getting where we're going on this journey is that we don't get to the point in our suffering that we realize that it's not about us. Because when we're suffering, I don't know about you, but when things are not going well for me, I tend to spend a lot of time focusing on me. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Oh, no one has ever had to endure what I'm having to endure right now. The weight of the world has never been on anyone else's shoulders the way that it's on my shoulders right now. 
But if you just step back and realize it, the weight of the world was on his shoulders. And he climbed that hill willingly. And he died that you wouldn't have to carry that burden. And so the things that we endure on this earth, they're just fleeting glances of an eternity. And we have to step back and respond as Job did and realize that we need to see God for who he is. And then out of all that, verse 6, he says something. I want us to stop just a minute. He says, therefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and in ashes. Now, when you read that, it sounds like Job literally says, I despise myself for the way that I've been acting. And that he went and jumped into a pile of ashes and repented. And that was his method of repentance was to dive into the ash pile. And maybe he did. But I think the, the better trans, translation would be to say, I, I hate myself, I repent, and I am like dust and ash. You know, I think when you go back to the original, that's a better, but it's just not clean. It doesn't feel right when you write it down. So they kind of reword it. But it's not literally I repented in dust and ashes. It's I am like dust and ashes. And I think what Job is really saying there is, God, I'm so sorry for the way I acted. I, I'm so sorry for the way I've been acting, and I want to turn from those ways, and, and I, I despise the way that I was acting, but I'm just a man. I, I'm just like this dust and this ash. I, I'm, just, I, I'm just a man, and I've failed you in that way. But God, forgive me. God, will you, will you please forgive me for the way I acted? And, and you know the beauty of this whole story? is that really, by our standards, Job didn't look like he did anything all that bad through the story. Really, if you're looking at it, it seems like he did most things good, but God was changing him. God was moving him through this situation, and Job was becoming even more faithful, and he was coming to the point that he realized that God was to get the glory in every aspect of his life. And that, my friends is ultimately where we're trying to get to, where we realize that the whole purpose of our life is that God would get the glory for everything in our life. And it would quit being about us and our, our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts and what's happening to us and how this is going and how it makes me feel. When in reality, it has nothing to do with how it makes me feel. It is how God is glorified through it. It's supposed to make you feel threatened. It's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. It's supposed to make you feel challenged because that is where your faith changes. If we never do anything that challenges us and feels uncomfortable and makes us wonder if we know how we're going to make it, then we never learn to depend on God to make it. I think yesterday was a Shining example, and I hate to keep going back to this, but my goodness, at 10.30, we didn't know what we were doing. And at 11.30, we sure didn't know what we was doing. But there was an awful lot of people that we got to pray with and talk to and give food to in that hour, and we still didn't know what we were doing. But the only thing that we agreed on when we left is while I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to give God the glory for whatever it is that I do. And because of that, it was uncomfortable. I, I, I'm going to confess to you, when I got in the van, thank God there was nobody but my family in there because between here and Shady Acres, I doubted God a whole lot. 
And because it was just my wife and my children in there, I didn't have to put my big boy preacher fake jerk, preacher fake britches on. I about cussed right there, didn't I? <laughs> that that would have woke you up, wouldn't it? I didn't have to pretend to have it all together. I was able to go through and say, Leah, I hope, I hope this goes well. I hope that all this work we put into it, I hope God blesses it. I hope that the people who came last week and gave out flowers, flyers, good Lord. We're about to call it quits in a minute. Dot already gave me my check. We'll go home. But God said, keep the faith, son. And then when we got there and things didn't look up, he said, pray one more prayer. Take one more step. Right out there on the edge where things were really uncomfortable. That's where God wanted us to get. Right out there where we thought, I'm going to fall out of this tree. This limb's really shaky. And God said, this limb's mine. This ministry's mine. And I'm going to get the glory for it right here. But I needed you to take a step out. That's where Job's at. Job was a good guy. But in order to become what God needed him to become, he had to go through this suffering, which takes us all the way back to, remember last week we were talking about Satan and how Satan was doing all these things, but if you really look at the whole book, God was in control of even Satan going to do the tempting because God was moving Job from what he was to what he became. He's doing the same thing with us. It's for his glory that we endure. So first we see Job's response. Briefly, we're going to look at the, the friends of Job in verses 7 through 9. So I, I said Job was suffering. His friends come to him. They're trying to be spiritual advisors. And young people and, and old people alike, I want you to listen to me real quick. Be careful who your advisors are, okay? Be careful. You're going to find that there are a lot of people that think they're smart that ain't all that sharp when it comes to being spiritual advisors, just to be completely transparent. And so Job's there, and let's just say that the advising that he gets from these guys that come and visit him is, is not exactly honoring God. It's not exactly glorifying God. They roll in, and they tell him, you did something wrong, you had to do something wrong, you got to figure out what you did wrong so you can make a penance with God, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can come out of this. But Job 1 tells us that Job was upright, and that Job hadn't done things wrong, and that Job hadn't brought this on himself with his sin. And so they thought they had it all figured out, but they were wrong. You ever been that person? You ever met that person? Well, I'll tell you what's going on in your life. You don't want to hear it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. That's how that conversation starts, by the way. Well, they don't, want, they don't really want to know what's wrong, but I'm going to tell them anyway. Because I know what's wrong. I know why they're suffering. We're bad about that, aren't we, church? I'm bad about that. Well, the reason you're dealing with this situation is because of what you did. The reason you're broke is because you blew your money. The reason you're this is because you're that. The reason you're this. And you know what? Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're broke because you blew your money. Fact of the matter is. But sometimes we assume to know more about someone else's situation than we know. Sometimes we assume that we've got it all figured out. And we're just like the friends of Job that are coming to tell him that we've got it all figured out. 
Sometimes we think we know how somebody ought to fix their situation without ever talking to God to seeing how God says we should counsel them to fix their situation. And in reality, we're just as lost as last year's Easter egg. And the only situation we know anything about is the one we're living. Because we ain't even took the time to know what their situation is. But what does God say to these guys? He says, my wrath has been kindled against you. In other words, God speaks to him and he says, my anger has been set on fire against you guys. Think about that. God, big guy, said, my anger, not, not just I'm, I'm, I'm mad at you. He said, my anger has been set on fire and you were the spark, big boy. That can't be a good feeling. Don't know about you guys. I don't even like for Liette to tell me she's mad at me. To think if God said, not only am I mad at you, but my fire of my anger has been lit by you. But why is God unhappy with them? Because they did not tell Job the truth about God. They weren't seeking the face of God. They weren't praying to God. They weren't trying to figure out what godly counsel would be. They just wanted Job to do what they wanted him to do because they thought that they had it all figured out. And God says to them, basically, I'm going to paraphrase what God said to them. He said, you big dummy, you ain't prayed to me yet. But Job, he ain't stopped praying to me in all this situation. You go get your sacrifices. Don't bring them to me. I don't need your sacrifices. Take them to Job and beg Job to pray for you. And if Job will pray for you, I'll hear his prayers. Because of your ignorance, I can't even hardly talk to you. That's the 2017 interpretation of the Hebrew. But that's the gist of what God said. You see if Job's willing to pray on your behalf because he's been faithful to me through all this and you haven't. You've been telling your side of the story. You've been peddling your theology. You've been peddling your religion. You've been pushing your ways. And you ain't prayed yet. You ain't sought my face yet. I'm sorry, English teachers. You have not sought my face yet. What an interesting turn of events. Those who had all the answers are forced to recognize they had no answers. And that prayer was the answer all along. So we see Job's response to suffering. We see the repentance of the friends. And then finally we see Job's restoration. If you were here last week, I told you that the story had a happy ending. And if you read this epilogue, things are going pretty good. I mean, he had some good stuff going on. Job had more. Remember, we said that monetarily you were not measured in dollars and cents in that time or shekels or silver. You were measured in livestock. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm assuming 6,000 camels, 14,000 sheep, and 1,000 oxen and 1,000 female donkeys is pretty well in that time. I don't know, but he had to have a whole bunch of property to run them on because that's a bunch of animals. So Job was doing good at the end. He had more than he had before. He had 10 more kids. He had grandkids out to four generations that he got to see. 
after all that suffering, he died old and full of days. Or perhaps if you translate it this way, old and his days were full. Either way, it's, it's either or. The man died happy. And it seems like a good place to stop. I mean, Job suffered. Job never cursed God. He repented for not recognizing the power of God. He prayed through it all, and he was blessed beyond all measure. And that seems like a good lesson. We could stop there, and I could say, in your suffering, if you'll only stay true to God, never curse God, pray your way through the whole situation, depend on God, repent of your sin, turn to God, love God, then in the end, God will deliver you. And I would not have said anything that was not true. The problem with believing that that is the reason that the epilogue of the book of Job is in there, though, is it's kind of counterintuitive to what we said the whole book was teaching us, if you think about it. The whole book, I said, was looking to accomplish the objective of showing us that suffering was not necessarily a result of the bad things that we did, but that its purpose was to glorify God. And so if I'm going to say that the bad things don't necessarily happen because of the bad things, then I can't turn around and say the good things happened because of the good things Job did. And if I said that the reason that he was blessed in the end was simply because he did enough good things, then I would shoot my whole argument for what the purpose of the book of Job was. And even though you might not have caught it until sometime later, you remembered it and you just said, boy, that Jason turned out to be wrong. And I don't want to be wrong. Not on purpose anyway. And so... Furthermore, if we're going to use that theology, then we'd have to turn around and say that, well, Job got ten kids in the end, and he had ten kids at the beginning, so they must have replaced those first ten that he had. And I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like an awfully bad way of viewing the life of the first ten kids that died, that they could just be replaced with ten more. I mean, my goodness, when my dog dies, I get a new dog, but it doesn't make me forget the old dog. I mean, you'll get that later. And so how does the epilogue fit into the theology of suffering? What does this closing sentiment have to do with the overall theology of suffering that we're trying to learn from the book of Job? Because I believe it's saying more than if you do good, you get good. What I believe is this closing epilogue of the book of Job, I think it is a reflection of what can happen when God's people remain faithful to him through our suffering. When we remain faithful and we remain in prayer and God delivers us, we can come out of the other side stronger. We come out of the other side closer to God. We come out of the other side with a renewed faith. We come out of the other side with a renewed vigor. We come out of the other side closer to our Heavenly Father than we were when we went in. And that, my friends, is worth far more than 14,000 sheep or 10 kids or anything else. Job is the shining example of someone who stayed steadfast to God, but he also drew nearer to God. And from his repentance, in verses 4 through 6, we see him say something that I think is, think is astounding. He said, in the beginning, basically, he said, I knew you from what I had heard of you, from what I had been taught of you from what I was told I was supposed to think of you God and I honored that but through this suffering I have seen you he's essentially saying God I honored you before 
because what I knew, but now I honor you because of what you are. I honor you because of what I feel. I honor you that through this all, I've gotten to the point that I know you're going to deliver me. So what does this have to do with us and the theology of severing? Well, first, suffering. First, we need to recognize that like Job, this storm could be to give us a deeper understanding of God. Whatever storm you're dealing with, whatever suffering you're enduring, the very purpose, purpose of it could be to just draw you nearer to God, understanding who he is and what he does. Second, I believe we can learn that in our suffering, leaning on God is the only place we can find strength and comfort. It's not in worldly friends. It's not in worldly pleasures. When bad things happen, we have to learn to lean on God alone. And finally, it's possible to go through suffering and live on the other side. Because far too often when we're enduring our storms and things are coming in around us, we look at the other side and we don't see how life could ever be the same. We don't see how we could ever live again. But I want you to know that through Job, we see in that epilogue that life does happen after suffering if you remain faithful. Job and his wife decided to have children again, even after all they had endured. They lost 10 children. Can you imagine how much pain and agony must have been there? And then to get on the other side and say, as bad as that hurt, I think we'll try again. I'm not sure that I'm that tough. I'm not sure that I've got that faith that Job had. But Job said, I've endured the suffering. I've drawn nearer to God. And life goes on. Let's rebuild. The end of this book, I believe, is to make us realize that no matter how bad things seem right now, God can bring beauty from the ashes. And that, my friends, is the theology of suffering. It's that God can bring beauty beauty from these ashes. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for Job. God, we thank you that we can see in him suffering that is beyond what we can endure right now. And so God, we ask you to reveal to us your truth and your mercy and your goodness in our life, Lord God. God, help us to draw near to you, Lord Jesus. When we hurt, when we suffer, when we endure, Lord God, help us to depend on you and you alone, Lord, to deliver us. Restore, renew, replenish, and grow our faith in this storm, Lord Jesus. That you would bring beauty from our ashes, Lord, and it's in your name that we do pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.